What is up, everyone? And welcome to It's Called Soccer, the weekly U.S. soccer podcast where we talk about everything happening in American soccer. I'm joined by my co-host, Tom. I am Jake here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And we got to meet each other for the first time in person this past week at the United Soccer Coaches Conference. So before we get into all that, Tom, how was that conference for you? Dude, it was it was awesome. It was so coolly surrounded by so many coaches from all over the world. Uh, we had a group from Tanzania who were pretty chill. We met people from, from Europe. We met people from locally here in the U.S., here in uh, Pennsylvania. It was just an awesome experience to get to go and meet all, all those people who are so into soccer and, you know, get to cover the conference, get to go to the NWSL draft, get to meet you in person for the first time. We've been doing this for like almost eight, two, yeah, what, over eight years now, and we still had never met. But so, you know, just a great experience all around and really happy that we was able to go. Yeah, it's not every day in America that you're surrounded by people that love the game as much as you. So it was amazing to just have that perspective of there are people like us, everyone watching, listening. There are people like us everywhere. And uh, it was amazing to get to meet some other podcasts. Shout out to ATL on Fire and Atlanta United podcast that was across the way from us. Ladcast was there. So it was it was a great time. But today on this episode, we are reviewing the weekend results. We're going to do a weekly roundup of all of the players that are USMNT eligible. Lots going on in the Premier League and the Championship in England. Most of the other leagues are back across Europe as well, except for the Bundesliga. So we'll fly you around the world to see what the USMNT are doing. And this may have snuck up on you, but the men's teams and the women's teams have games over the next few weeks. So we'll talk about three players that we need to see on the US men's national team roster as they focus on games against Colombia and Serbia. Uh, in two weeks and then the women's team is in New Zealand for two games two matches against New Zealand one is tomorrow and one is Friday both of those games are at 10 p.m. so we'll talk about some of the problems and question marks that the women's national team is facing and what we want to see from these games against New Zealand then everyone's favorite new recurring segment the USMNT player pool rankings are back to kick off the new year Tom and I will run down our top five performing players right now and before we get started, if you are listening to this wherever you get your podcasts, make sure you stick around for an exclusive interview with World Cup play-by-play announcer JP Della Camera. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the video separately on the channel. All right, Tom, roundup. Roundup of players, a lot going on now that we're back into club football. On Friday, Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson, and Jesse Marsh for that matter, lost a tightly contested 2-1 to match against Aston Villa which sees them just two points from the relegation zone. Tom, is Jesse still safe and is Leeds in a relegation fight? I, I, it's hard to say that Leeds is not in a relegation fight at this point. They have uh, battled it out. They still can't really get above 14th place. Um, they look really good against top six sides, but against the bottom of the table, they really don't seem to be able to perform and put together the wins they need to sort of push themselves away from that relegation zone. So... They're in a fight. Uh, Marsh is definitely on the hot seat now. I, you'd have to think, unless he can really pull something together and get a string of wins. So I, I hope he can do it. Um, he had a brief recorded session at the coaches' convention. It was awesome to hear him speak and hear his philosophy on coaching. But, you know, it's a Premier League club. You really have to put in the results, and it's it's been a struggle lately to get those results. Yeah, Absolutely. And Brendan Aronson himself has been struggling a bit in form after the World Cup. Does he need a benching or two? Is it rest? Is it something mental? I'm not really sure what it what you do. I, I 
it might be time for a benching. I think that's sort of the direction I'm starting to see people want to go with it. Um, for me, I just when I watch him play, he just gets knocked off the ball too easily. He just needs to get stronger or figure out how to hold people off just a little bit better. You can't pick up the ball in the midfield and then just get shoved down and have the ball taken from you every single time. Even if it's about 50% of the time, it's that's not a high enough rate for that to be acceptable in your play. And his pressing numbers have gone down. His counter-pressing numbers have gone down, so he's not really putting in the defensive work rate to match it. So, yeah, I, I'm not really sure what's going on there, but something's got to change. Yeah, absolutely. I kind of see it as a Jack Grealish problem. You know, you're trying to draw fouls. You're trying to win the the space for your team. But with Brendan Aronson, if he's getting knocked off the ball, if he's not getting those fouls, then he needs to make sure his game changes with the times or with the ref, for that matter, to just make sure that he's still being effective in the match. All right, also on Friday, Luca de la Torre got 45 minutes in La Liga in a 1-1 draw with Villarreal. And Weston McKinney was in the starting lineup just for Juve to lose 5-1 to to rivals Napoli. Now, Tom, Juve was on blistering form up until this match or kind of stopped in their tracks by a team that just looked a level above them. What's next for Weston McKinney? Is he on the transfer block? Should he stay at Juve? I, I, you know, I want him to stay at Juve if he can, but, you know, Juve is also not in a great spot financially right now. Um, we know that they have pretty big money problems, and McKinney is one of their only really young talents that they could sell, maybe with Chiesa and Locatelli. So, it makes sense that Juve is going to be shopping him, but you know I like our players to be in a spot where they're going to get consistent minutes, consistent playing time. Even though Kenny's playing out of position, which his dad is now complaining about actively on Twitter, um, he still starts every single match for Juventus, and we've seen with other transfers that that's not a guarantee for our players. So there's something to be said for him being in a place where he's going to get consistent minutes for a good top five team. Yeah, and there's absolutely inflated numbers coming from a transfer like Mikhailo Mudrik to Chelsea from Shakhtar Donetsk for over 100 million pounds. Weston McKinney for around 30 is still a great asset that Juve has if they need to sell him and move him on for the money. Now, moving to the weekend on Saturday, David Wagner, the new manager at Norwich, is off to a flying start. Josh Sargent started in that match, a 4-0 win for Norwich. Zach Steffen gets a clean sheet in a 1-0 draw or one they'll win for Middlesbrough over Millwall. And Daryl DK gets the best of Ethan Horvath with a goal as West Bromwich Albion beats Luton in a 3-2 to two comeback. Tom, in the championship, what stuck out to you? Was it Josh Sargent being in the lineup for the new manager? Was it Daryl DK continuing his form? I, I think the continuing saga of Josh Sargent's position is the continuing story for me. Um, Fobob had him as a center midfielder in that game. I think his position was closer to what traditional 10 or like second striker almost underneath Timo Buki and played well. He got into good positions, just couldn't get a goal to fall. So um, we'll see if him moving more central is going to really affect his goal scoring output. I, I think that that's the right position to play him in. I don't think he's as effective on the wings, but this is something that's been a story to watch ever since Josh Sargent moved to England. Two different managers at Norwich had him on the left or right wing. Now he's got David Wagner as his manager. David Wagner said in interviews that he sees him as a central attacking player. What does that look like, especially when Timo Puku is going out and getting a brace when this first match into the new manager? So this is sort of the big story that I'm starting to follow. But I mean, we can talk about Daryl Dika as well, who's in great form as well. It looked to me like 
Timu Puki was the Puki of old, the Puki that was getting double-digit goals in the Premier League. It was weird to me that David Wagner went on record saying that he sees Josh Sargent's best position as a striker and that he doesn't really want to play him on the wing and then first game in, plays Josh Sargent on the wing. But that might also be you know, a new manager trying to keep things the same, not really shake up a ton. Because Norwich, they were in poor form, but they're with that win, they're back in the playoff promotion spot. So it wasn't like this guy was falling. It's wild. Yeah, there's like three points separating teams three through 11 right now. Even the Premier League is crazy. There's like a really tight uh, block from one to five, and there's a huge drop-off from six to 13, and then kind of from Nottingham Forest and Leeds down is all of relegation. It, it's wild. Every every league is wild right now. Um, I will say Josh Sargent eventually, hopefully, will move to a central position. But right now, Daryl DK is making us very, very sad that he was not healthy for the World Cup because he is just a game changer for West Bromwich Albion right now, uh, getting that goal in a 3-2 comeback to beat Ethan Horvath. On the goal for Daryl DK, Ethan Horvath kind of made a gaffe. He went out of his box, tried to make the tackle, didn't get there. For a goalkeeper, that's really difficult. You know, it's hard to judge a sprint from 40 yards while the striker is bearing down on you. But what have you seen from our goalkeepers in the championship? Zach Steffen with the clean sheet. Ethan Horvath and Luton are doing well, but not not necessarily getting into that promotion spot. I mean, I, I think Stefan is starting to round back into a little bit of form, which was needed because I don't think he had a great start to the season. Horbath has had a really good year. Today, this last match was not great, but Luton has been slowly climbing the table. They just can't do enough to get into the top six spots. They've been sort of flirting with the bottom of that playoff picture. So, you know, I, I'm I'm happy with the way they're performing right now. I, I just want to see it become a consistent thing and sort of see them start to challenge these promotion spots. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, more whip-around coverage on Saturday. Mark McKenzie in Belgium continues his blistering form as Gank gets the win and clean sheet. Serginio Desk comes on at halftime with AC Milan down 2 to nothing, and gets the draw with a final score of 2-2 two to two against Lecce. And Cameron Carter-Vickers played 90 for Celtic in their 2-0 victory over Kilmernock in the League Cup semifinal. And because of Sunday's results, Celtic and CCV will play Rangers in the League Cup final Malik Tillman and James Sands on Rangers. Uh, any of those performances stick out to you, Tom? I just hadn't realized what the table looked like in Belgium this year um, and how good Mark McKenzie has been with his team until very recently. They are seven points clear at the top of the table right now, uh, with Club Bruges is down almost 20 points to them. So that's not a usual season in Belgium by any standards. Um, so props to Mark McKenzie for you know, putting together an incredible season with Gank and getting them to this position that they're in where they've only had two defeats this season. That's spectacular. Really makes you start to think if we just had a little more time between maybe Mark McKenzie or Eric Palmer Brown, could there have been another center back that could come on to help us? Who knows? Who knows what would happen? But 2026, you know, we have some time. We have three years now to get our, our shit in order. We do, and, you know, we've got more than just uh, Mark McKenzie coming up. Austin Trusty in the championship has not been on great form recently, but he's had a good season. We've got Cameron Carter-Vickers, who's playing best 11 football in Scotland right now. And then we've got Mark McKenzie. So there's there's a lot of, and Eric Paul Brown, there's a lot of talent out there in the center back pool that's starting to develop. 
We haven't even touched on Chris Richards, who is still struggling for minutes. So by 2026, I think we're going to be sort of flush with really good young center backs to pick from. Yeah, that was a good transition, Tom. Thank you for that. Because on Sunday, Chris Richards rode the bench, didn't get any playing minutes as Crystal Palace lost to Chelsea. We are getting reports that Christian Pulisic might be out months with his knee injury. So we'll we'll look out for that and make sure everyone is updated as the news comes out. Around English Premier League, again, Jedi Robinson was suspended for yellow card accumulation in their match against Newcastle, but Tim Ream started and Captain Fulham again to a heartbreaking 1-0 loss to Newcastle, but as of today, they still sit 6th in the table. Now, Tim Ream, I thought, had a great game against Newcastle. Fulham had a penalty kick where Mitrovic hit the ball into his standing foot and had the penalty called off. Newcastle scores in the last few minutes as Alexander Isak comes in after returning from injury. So what a heartbreaker for Fulham. Tom, what did you think of that game? It's just, that is the worst way to lose, right? Losing on a 90th minute goal when you had an 82nd minute penalty called off is just the worst. Yeah, especially when you have a striker as deadly as Mitrovic has been this season. Yeah. All right, looking towards the top of the table still, Matt Turner was on the bench for Arsenal as they took the North London Derby 2-0. to Matt Turner was on the bench, but I still want to talk a little bit about this game, Tom. Arsenal looked like the real deal. I think that was a, a significant win to set themselves apart from the rest of the field in the Premier League and really showed that they were ready for the big stage. Do you think Arsenal's going to take it this season in the Prem? I don't know. They still, they're still they still running pretty far above their XG in their uh, place on the justice table. So, you know, they, they very well could, but they're in a blistering run of form with still about 20 matches to go. Did you say justice table? Yeah. What is that? Uh, it's uh, So this is a term, if you've read The Expected Gold Philosophy, which is a great book, uh, that apparently is very common among statistical like analysis of the Premier League and other leagues around the world, where you take the XG, uh, your XG for each match, and you create a table based on what the XG would have led to points wise, and create an expected points table, and it tells you like what the table would look like if everyone was performing exactly at their expected goals. And Arsenal's like seven points above their expected points total right now. So we'll see what happens. You're yeah. saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's a chance. I'm saying if they regress to the mean a little bit, then that releaves room to play teams like Manchester City to swoop in. It would it would be great if for two years in a row we had backup goalkeepers win the Premier League with Zach Steffen with Manchester City last year. All right, saying no not coming. No, no. Matt Turner picked the right team at the right time. But staying in the United Kingdom, Malik Tillman started for Rangers with James Sands on the bench as they defeated Aberdeen in the other side of the League Cup semifinal, so they'll play Celtic in the final there. And across continental Europe, Timothy Weah played left-back for Lille in their 5-1 romping of Eric Palmer-Brown and Trois. Tom, what's up with Timothy Weah? He can't get a start unless he's playing at left-back. Um, In my opinion, it's sort of signs pointing to a transfer. I don't know if you are sort of getting the same vibes out of uh, Lille right now, but... The only reason I could see where you wouldn't be playing him right now is if you were about to sell him, if you were trying to protect him, make sure that you didn't jeopardize a transfer. Yeah, I can't say I have any idea what's happening there because playing left back doesn't signify a transfer is incoming for me. 
But yeah. Ricardo Pepe started and played 90 minutes and Groningen's return to the Eredivisie action in a 3-0 loss to Feyenoord. Taylor Booth played 85 minutes for FC Utrecht in their 2-2 draw with go-ahead Eagles. That about rounds us up. Have I missed anyone, Tom, or any performances that really stuck out to you? I want to go to Turkey where I know there is a transfer absolutely imminent because Haji Wright has just disappeared from the squad at Antalya Spore, which given the rumored transfers that he has, there's interest from a couple of Premier League sides. I think you can go ahead and say that if they're not playing the second highest scorer in Turkey right now, that it's probably to protect a transfer. And I would expect Haji Wright to be leaving the club sometime in the next two weeks. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's always indicative of a transfer, right? A player that is critical to their team's success. They have no injuries that are recorded and they are just surrounded by rumors of transfers going to the Premier League. It would be great to see another American in the top flight in England, I think. And the teams that are connected with him in terms of these rumors, I think would be wonderful. Ajire would be a great addition to those teams. All right, Tom. The U.S. Men's National Team has upcoming matches next Wednesday, the 25th against Serbia and Saturday, the 28th against Colombia. The roster supposedly is coming out this Wednesday, which is two days from now. How have we gotten to the point where we just had a World Cup and we have another game under 10 days from now? Let's talk about three players that we need to see on this roster. Now, if you're listening to this and you're listening to the whip around coverage of Europe, thinking about all these players that are in form that you want to see on this national team, well, you're not going to see them because this is not a FIFA window. Teams and clubs do not need to release their players for these games. So this will most likely be a a mostly MLS-based team, players that are in preseason right now with their MLS teams, and the U-20s that are also in camp for the U.S. men's national team. So we want to talk about three players that we need to see as part of this roster that are in that bucket of players I know number one for you, Tom, and and for me, for that matter, was a player that was kind of just on the edge of that U.S. roster for the last two years. A striker that we could have used potentially to get some goals. Who's this player for you? Who do we need to see on this USMNT roster? It's got to be FC Cincinnati's own Brandon Vasquez, who just had an excellent year last year in MLS. I think 19 goals in the MLS season for FC Cincinnati. Just a really big, physical, fast striker who had a, who looks like he's in excellent form. Um, I'd expect that can, to continue this year. FC Cincinnati should be a really good team. So I think it's time for us to get a look at him. He's also a dual, dual national. Dual national, he's Mexican-American. So having him in camp and getting a chance to sort of get some time with the U.S. team and the U.S. coaches is really important in winning that dual national recruiting battle. Uh, he's got a bright future, so I really want to see what he can do and see if he's ready for the U.S. Yeah, he's still on the younger end of the scale. Uh, there were reports that there were transfer offers of up to $10 million from Mexican teams last year. So it's not like Brandon Vasquez is not good enough or not getting the attention enough to be a part of this team, especially if we have players like Jesus Ferreira, other MLS players coming into the squad and adding value to the U.S. men's national team. So hopefully Brandon Vasquez is there. I think he will be. That's pretty set in stone, right? Like, how can you leave off one of the best attacking players in MLS? To me, he's the only obvious call-up that we have in the entire pool right now. Basically, everyone else is a crapshoot, but for me, Brandon Vasquez is the guy that you have to call up that has been obvious since about July. Yeah. 
I'm going to bring up a player that is right now teetering on the brink of performance versus potential, and that is John Tolkien. John Tolkien, for me, was one of the best widebacks in the league last season for New York Red Bulls, and he's starting to get attention because a report came out recently that was done by, I forget what they were called, it was some European report about uh, upcoming players under a certain age. John Tolkien was statistically the best two-way fullback in the world under a certain age. So John Tolkien is getting the attention. He had a great season last year. The New York Red Bulls didn't have an amazing time in the league last year, but John Tolkien was a shining light on that. So I think he needs to be called in. We are still looking for wide players. Anthony Robinson still doesn't have a natural uh, backup player to him on the senior national team. I think John Tolkien can be the answer if he can fulfill the prophecy of his potential. Have you seen John Tolkien play? What do you think about him? I haven't watched a lot of Red Bulls, so I haven't seen a whole lot of him. But, I mean, every report coming out indicates that he's just been lighting it up. And, you know, it's a position of need right now. It'd be really nice to sort of get him in there and see what he can do. So, yeah, I would love to see what he can do with the national team. I'm going to be following him a lot closer this year as he becomes more and more of a big name that we have to watch and have to follow. I expect to transfer sometime soon as he leaves MLS to try out Europe. Yeah. And New York Red Bulls also just re-signed uh, Kyle Duncan, who was on the Red Bulls a few years ago, went to Europe, and now he's back on loan for a year. So those two sides for the New York Red Bulls and MLS is a scary fullback uh, duo that anyone is going to be worried when they see come up against that. Now, from New York Red Bulls to Philly Union to FC Dallas, these are all the premier academies in the wor- or in MLS, maybe the world, but... FC Dallas has a player that is number three on our list. Who's that for you, Tom? Yeah, for me, it's Paxton Pomacall. Um, This is a name that's not going to get as much hype. I don't think he had the best season last year in MLS. I think he was a solid central role player for FC Dallas. I'd want to see him take the next step forward this year because his potential when he was coming up through the youth ranks was as high as anyone we had in the pool in the midfield. Um, he was excellent at that two, 2019 U20 World Cup. Um then he had a really serious back injury that kept him out of the team. He's only still got five minutes with the senior national team. That'd be Paxton Pomacall. Um, I still am really high on him. I still think there's a chance he's still pretty young, but this has got to be the season where he puts it together, and I think it's time to get him back in the, with the national team and see if he's possibly an answer as we start to look at eights going towards 2026. He's a guy who's been playing in a very similar system to Greg Berhalter's 4-3-3, and he has look decent at the eight there so i want to see if maybe this is a player to watch going forward if greg berhalter continues then maybe it's important for us to get some number eights that play in that system fair <laughs> yeah so we'll, we'll see if we even need eights like that but i figure we're gonna at some point need backups to turn to delatory mckinney and musa we just don't have that many in the pool right now so it's time to start throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks yeah no matter who the manager is right you want the most depth possible and especially going into 2026 if we can get that kind of 1 to 18 or 1 to 21 right on a roster we will be in good shape but since this is a combined roster with the u20 squad as well let us know down below in the comments who you want to see on this roster tom are there any sneaky u20 players that you think could get into this roster Ooh, sneaky u20 players i i think that obed Vark. oh wait a minute never mind fc since seattle fc is not allowed to it would be called. We can't get Seattle players. They're in the Club World Cup. So, uh, no Danny Leva. 
Uh, no, it'll get Obed Bargas. Um, maybe one of the Philly kids. Maybe uh, uh, Quinn Sullivan or um, Jack McGlynn would be an interesting name that would actually see minutes at this camp. I think that Jack McGlynn especially could could sneak in there as a guy who's actually seeing minutes on the field for the senior team, even though he's a U-20 player. Um, yeah, there's a lot of great talent. Maybe Caleb Wiley sneaks on. Um, uh, the left back from Atlanta United. He's another one that is really an interesting prospect. So, yeah. Yeah, there, there's some names out there. I wish we had Seattle Sounders players available because that would be really nice. At uh, some point, we need to lock down Obed Vargas. Vargas is a name that I'm really excited about. I think there's a lot of wide-ranging sort of views on how much he translates to the next level, but um, he's played so well for Seattle as a six. So it's definitely a position of need for us, so I really hope that he pans out. Yeah, and since we're talking so much about MLS players... We're about to get to the women's national team. I want to ask you your opinion on the new Apple deal for MLS. And is this a good thing? I I don't know. Um, I, I feel a little bit sad that a little, few less games are going to be on regular television. Uh, but there's a mixed bag that comes with this. So we do have some games that are still on Fox. Um, we do have a bunch of games that are not hidden behind the sort of extra $15 paywall per month that uh, are just on the regular Apple TV+. Plus. Uh, and we also do have a much like much broader media coverage of the game. So we're going to get consistent start times, consistent start windows for the MLS on consistent days. Huge important thing because all of a sudden there's not just randomly MLS games on. We also get Apple TV Plus forcing all of these clubs to actually put in effort into their media content and like creating behind the scenes content and creating pre-match and post-match content, pre-match, post-match shows, stuff like that. That's all huge for the league. I think it really helps us grow. But like the HBO Max deal for the U.S., which becomes important as we're looking toward games this month. Surprise, surprise, we're going to be on HBO Max tomorrow uh, for the women's national team. Uh, I don't like the idea of locking the national team behind streaming services, which are expensive for bars if you're trying to have a watch party. They're expensive for fans who are trying to watch the games. I just wish the team was going to be more accessible. The leagues were going to be more accessible to people. I really hate just sort of locking them behind streaming services where only the people who are interested are going to find the content. Yeah, it's not great for growth. It might be good for people that are currently fans of that and want to seek it out. Yeah, the U.S. men's national team games, the one against Serbia is on HBO Max only. And then the one on Saturday, the 28th against Colombia, I do think that's on television and HBO Max. But you're right. It's um, something you have to seek out. And the women's national teams to be get kept behind the price tag on HBO Max as well. That's not going to be great for the, the growth of the game. I'm sure they're making a huge bet on the popularization of the sport, the World Cup coming up this summer. So let's talk about that. The women's national team has games tomorrow. That's Tuesday and Friday. Both of them are against New Zealand, who are currently 24th in the FIFA, FIFA World Rankings. And of course, the World Cup this summer will also be hosted in Australia and New Zealand. So, Tom, what are what's one thing that you're hoping to learn from these matches between the U.S. Women's National Team and New Zealand? You know, I'm I'm just sort of starting to get a... I want to start to get a feel of how the U.S. is going to respond to two different problems. One, I think, is they've not looked great in the final third for about seven months now, and that's something that I really want to see them figure out. They sort of have the Darlington-Nagby thing going on where they look amazing as soon as, as they try to progress the ball in the final third. But once they get there, they really just don't seem to have a lot of ideas. 
They've got the talent to score a lot of goals, but they're not really scoring that many goals right now. And this is something that I really think we need to see consistent improvement on throughout the next six months to feel really comfortable going into the World Cup. So we'll see if anyone can step up, if there's a front three that can be more dangerous, if there's something that Blacko can do tactics-wise that will help us out. But yeah, this is this is a huge problem for me right now that I think needs to be solved. Sophia Smith can't just sort of go 1v1 and hit hit beautiful goals every single time. That's just not going to be a consistent offensive strategy. Um, that's not our MO either. As the U.S. team, we've always been a team that's really cohesive. That's great as a team. We have wonderful players in all 11 spots. So it would kind of go against our ethos to have you know, a, a Messi that's trying to beat every player and go 1v1. That's not really what we've been about or what our team is set up to do. No, it's really not. Yeah, and we've got such good wingers who are so talented. Um, I would like to see them sort of consistently combine well with the midfield and sort of figure out ways to do a little bit more in the attacking third. Um, I think that it'll be a lot better once Katarina Macario comes back later this year, hopefully. Um, she has been out with an ACL for a long time now, but she should be back in the next few months, which will, I think, alleviate a lot of these issues. Um, the second issue, I think, is sort of related to this. We still don't really know who our best midfield trio is, and especially who our best defensive midfielder is. Um, for the last few World Cups, that's been Julie Ertz. The last six or seven months, we've been sort of experimenting with players like uh, Taylor Korniak and um, Lindsey Horan, who've been sort of sitting as deep-line playmakers. I don't know that we've really settled on a midfield trio that works. Maybe it's Horan with LaBelle and Ashley Sanchez in front of them, but that's a really attacking lineup that doesn't really have the most bite defensively, that's not going to be great for attacking knockout round matches at the World Cup. So, yeah, I'm still starting to try to look at how they're going to uh, sort of play a midfield three that really cohesively works and is defensively sound, but also can progress the ball forward and combine well with the attacking players. So, yeah, they, that sort of attacking six is really yeah. up in the air right now. <laughs> It's funny because I think you hit on the theme, Tom, around not really knowing who our best 11 is, making sure that we have cohesion and we've built chemistry. In every position, I feel like that's still up in the air for the U.S., maybe outside of the fullbacks, because if you if you are listening to this in podcast form, I would encourage you to listen to the JP Della Camera interview. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to go watch that because he actually talks about there being you know inconsistency between our goalkeepers is it Alyssa Nair is it Casey Murphy we don't really know who our starting goalkeeper is we have four great center backs but we don't necessarily know who the two are that are going to start for us in the World Cup so the fact that you just went from like front to midfield and then we're also having conversations about who our best center back duo is who our best goalkeeper is I think that's what I'm looking for out of these two games is like can we start to build everything back to a cohesive unit? Can we start to bring everything back to know who our starting 11 is, who our best 11 is on the pitch? Because that is going to be so important going into the World Cup this summer. If you look at our form, I know we've talked about this before, but last year we played England, Spain, and then Germany twice. We lost three out of those four matches, and only in that last match did we narrowly beat Germany 2-1. to one. So hopefully... This is the moment where we can start to build momentum back again. We get out of that slump in form. We understand who our best 11 is, and that can bring us to the World Cup where we're we're in that good spot to really take advantage of where we are. If we had, you know, if this was a winter World Cup last winter, 
after that run of form, I'd be a lot more worried, but there's still time to fix some things. There's still time to figure some things out. So both of those games tomorrow, uh, Tuesday and Friday night are at 10 p.m. Eastern time. So if you do have HBO Max, feel free to watch that. And if you don't, I'll just make a plug. There is a uh, affiliate link for NordVPN down in the description. So if you would like to watch it some other way, wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge, you can use NordVPN to do that and hide your IP address and you can support the channel by getting that through the link. All right, Tom, are you ready for the top five USMNT player power rankings to finish off the episode? Let's do it. All right. Out of these five, Tom, you and I have three that share the spotlight here, although they're all in different positions. Our fifth player, though, is different. I have Serginho Dest, and you have Josh Sargent. Why do you have Josh Sargent here in this top five? I, you know, the run of form he's been on all season has been great. I, I don't think that his sort of goal scoring production going down is enough to knock him out of the top five for me right now. I think that you could pick a name out of a hat and there are about 10 guys here who could really be doing well, but he's still in the leading scores in the championship. He's in a really good position. He's on a team that I think is on the up and up with the new manager. I just think that he's out of our attackers performing almost better than anyone in Europe right now. So I'm really excited about what's in store for him going forward. And I, I just see a lot of very similar performing players out there right now. And just yeah. sort of picked the name that I thought is, got a lot going well for them right now i mean i will say the bar for our attacking players in europe is pretty low there's no one that's really scoring consistently other than daryl dk yeah i I think you're right i think that i mean haji Wright was but he's sort of cooled off a little bit um peppy was but he's cooled off a little bit it's none of our wingers are really putting much together with Weah having his problems, Aaronson having his problems, Rain is not back with the Bundesliga yet, politics hurt, so yeah, we need attacking players to be doing well in Europe, and Sargent's one of our only ones who's doing anything notable. Yeah, absolutely. Alright, number four on your list is a defender, Tom, who is that? I've got Cameron Carter-Vickers, who I would be pretty shocked if doesn't make the best 11 in uh, the Scottish Premier League this year. He has been the captain of Celtic, he has been a lockdown defender in the league. I I just cannot say enough good things about how well he has performed this season, how good of a form he's in. So, yeah, I'm really excited for how the season's gone for him, and I, I see him as probably our second-best center back in the pool right now. Yeah. I I don't want to poo-poo the Scottish Premier League because that's where Virgil van Dijk came from. That's also where, you know, some very good players have been very good center backs have been at play across the premier league in in england so it's very possible that cameron carter vickers can come out of celtic or you know what maybe he just stays at celtic for his entire career and becomes a legend himself i have tyler adams at number four and i know you have him higher up your list as a spoiler alert but i have him at number four just because of how poor Leeds' form is they haven't won many games in the last 10 15 games tyler adams has been amazing, but not enough to save them in form. Now, at number three, I have my center back, Mark McKenzie. We talked about his form in Belgium, where Gank is in the table, what he's been meaning to that team. I feel like Mark McKenzie, for me, is one of the best center backs. Now that I'm looking at our top five power rankings right now, there's a lot of center backs in here. A lot of center backs. Oh, yeah, I get to. 
uh, and only, well, two of them went to the World Cup, but we'll see what happens in the next few years. Who do you have at number three, Tom? I have Daryl DK. I, you, you, he had to be on this list somewhere. I sort of have him as the best performing player of a non-top five league right now. He scored, what, two or three goals since coming back from injury. He's been um, really on fire with West Brom, and he's just in a good position where he's getting good service and doing a lot with it, which is what you want to see from a striker in the championship. So this is a good spot for him to be in, and I'm excited about to see what he can do the rest of the season. Hopefully he stays healthy. Yeah. Now, number two, you have your Leeds guy there, Tyler Adams. Why why so high up in the power rankings for you? I mean, he's still performing as well as he is in a top-five league. We know how important he is to the U.S., and when you watch Leeds play, it's never Leeds is horrible, everyone is playing awful. It's always this team is playing decent, and Tyler Adams is keeping them in this game. Tyler Adams is the guy who is so important for how Leeds plays. Without him, the whole thing falls apart, and... I just really enjoy watching him play, enjoy what he's doing for Leeds, and you can't overstate his importance to a Premier League club, which counts for a lot for me. Yeah, absolutely. And at number two for me, I have the 35-year-old captain of Fulham, Tim Ream, the ex-Red Bull, ex-St. Louis guy. Tim Ream is captaining a team that should have been relegation fodder into sixth place, into the European spots in the Premier League. I mean, what is happening? How is this happening? This is the best story in the Premier League right now is Tim Ream sort of having this renaissance and keeping Fulham where they are. We've said this for about a month straight now, but I just love this story and I'm so happy for Tim Ream. Yep. Now, Tim Ream is your number one. Anything else to say there with Mr. Ream? Just hope this continues. I want this. I want to see him go the Tiago Silva route and be playing amazing soccer in the Premier League till he's 40. Hey, <laughs> I don't Tiago think that's... Silva played in the World Cup for Brazil at 39 years old. That's how old Tim Ream will be in 2026. So I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it is possible. I would love to see it. I'm so happy for him. <laughs> yep. And number one for me this week is Gerald DK. I think we've seen how difficult it is for attacking players to produce. As, as some, some curse is beholden to the U.S. men's national team across the front three, but Daryl DK has consistently smashed that curse when he's been healthy. So I love to see someone scoring for our, our team. Gerald DK is number one for me. Tim Ream is number one for you. I think those are both wonderful number ones for the power rankings this week. Tom, what are you looking forward to in the next week? Oh, man. Um, I think there's just a lot of good action that's going to keep going. I'm mostly going to be looking at the U.S. games, though. I really am just ready to get back to some national team action. That'll be just excellent to see. So... Um, be on the lookout for these U.S. Women's National Team games. Um, I do you have any like big club games you're looking at right now? I mean, it's it's another FA Cup week. Uh, the Italian Super Cup final, Milan versus Inter. So, the Milan Derby is the Italian Italian Super Cup final. That's at 2 p.m. Eastern time on Wednesday, and then yeah, Leeds versus Cardiff. I think that is going to be a very telling game for Jesse Marsh going forward. They're at home in a replay for the FA Cup. They need to smash Cardiff, I think, by a few goals for Jesse to feel more comfortable. And then Thursday, Man City versus Tottenham in the Premier League. And then we're back at it to uh, the Bundesliga comes back next weekend. So yeah, across from all the U.S. women's national teams this this week, I mean, 10 p.m. is a rough time for me. I'm usually in bed and sleeping at that point, but 
maybe Friday will be a little bit better. I won't have too much to do on the weekend. Uh, so yeah, the best start times for me. I love a good 10 p.m. kickoff. <laughs> I, I'm uh, just shattered by all the 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. games I had while I was living in London. So I'll, I'll take a 10 p.m. That's fair. JP Della Camera, thank you so much for joining us today. For anyone that doesn't know you, although there probably aren't many out there, who are you? What's your role? Uh, soccer play-by-play. have done it for many years. Um, many decades, actually, now that I think of it. Uh, 16 World Cups, 10 men, 6 women. Love what I do. Couldn't dream of doing anything that would bring me more satisfaction than doing these games. Seems like you're living everyone's dream. I know you because you're a union guy. But you've been... Some people might recognize your voice from something recently, the 2022 World Cup. You were there. What did you make of the U.S. men's national team performance? I thought that they went as far as I thought they would go, to be honest. I, I totally expected them to get out of the group. I had no doubt they would get out of the group. And then the rest of it is a crapshoot. Like when people say, how far can they go? Well, show me who they're going to play next, right? Because if, if their next opponent was going to be France, well, then they're not going to go much farther, right? Or if it was Argentina, whoever it was, right? In this case... It was the Netherlands, right? I watched in the Netherlands in the summer during the UEFA Nations League, and I thought, this is a good team. And I think when they were playing the U.S., they were like unbeaten in 16 or 17, something like that. So, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't have high hopes for the U.S. I wanted them to win, obviously, but I thought it was going to end there. So I think they went as far as they could. Um, the things that we thought were good from them were good. The things that we worried about, we're still worried about. We still don't have a number nine. We don't have a number nine. Our center backs are aging. We don't necessarily have great developing players in those roles just yet. They're out there, but they've yet to be identified. Greg Berhalter is still a question mark up in the air. What are you looking forward to in the next few months and years for the U.S. team in terms of coaching and developing players? Well, I think, first of all, um, with all this controversy, you know, U.S. has to decide uh, what they're going to do with a coaching situation. And until that happens, it's hard to speculate on the direction, right? Because a lot of it is, is who your coach is and what their philosophy is and how do the players adjust to it, right? Uh, you're not going to have to qualify for the next yeah. World Cup. I think that's a bad thing uh, for a lot of teams. For some, it, it could turn out to be good, but it hurts you with a competition, right? And I think you can say CONCACAF's improving if you'd like, I won't argue that. Yeah, they are improving, but if you want to be the best that you can be, you got to do something outside of your region. And with all these nations leagues and and other competitions that they have, it's hard to play meaningful friendlies like you used to. So is it Copa America? Is it your own tournament? Whatever it is, we need to find that in the next couple of years. If it is Gold Cup and Copa America, do you feel like that's enough to prepare us for 2026 or is there something else that's kind of like the secret sauce that we need to find? There is no secret sauce, I don't think, uh, Jake. But, I mean, if there was, I, I probably wouldn't know what it was. But I think that the more games you can play against quality competition, you know, hey, give me USA-Mexico five times a year, six times a year, I don't care. It's always going to be good, right? And, and we will make them better. They will make us better, right? can't say the same about if you're playing Jamaica or Honduras or Panama, right? But there are some countries where you could say that. So I think you've got to find a way in this very crowded calendar, even if it is friendlies. I mean, there's got to be a way to find 
meaningful, friendly summer, even with Nations League going on. And the, I think the more games like that that we can find, the better. Yeah. Now, switching gears a little bit, there is a World Cup this year, the Women's World Cup, held in Australia and New Zealand. The U.S. Women's National Team is in a bit of a transition period. We are going for our third in a row title. However, last year was saw some of the worst form that we've seen from the U.S. Women's National Team. They're currently in New Zealand right now preparing for some friendlies. What are you seeing? What are you expecting from the women's national team this year? I said today in an earlier seminar that I don't think they have weaknesses, but they do have question marks, right? And, and maybe more question marks than we've ever seen on this women's World Cup side. So starting at the back, who's our goalkeeper? They're splitting time between Alyssa Nair and Casey Murphy. So we have to identify who that number one goalkeeper is. Today, I believe it's Alyssa Nair. But after these two games in New Zealand, you know, are they splitting them? What are they, what are they doing? So we'll find out, right? Uh, but I think we have good goalkeepers, but you have to decide on who it is, right? I think we have at least, if everybody's healthy, four good center backs. But who are the two that are going to get a bulk of the time? I can't answer that now. I don't know, right? Only Vladko Andonovsky can answer that. I think that we've never replaced Julie Ertz. And no one talks about Julia, so I don't know. Does Julia want to come back? I have no idea, right? If she does, there's nobody better at that position than her. If she doesn't, Andy Sullivan's good, but there's no one-for-one switch, you know? So do you keep the same formation? Do you play with with two in that role? Like, what do you do, right? So that's that's a concern. And then injuries. I worry about injuries. Like, Kat Macario is terrific. Is she going to be... The Cap Macario, right? Fully healthy. If she is, that's fantastic, right? I've never seen as many injuries as our national team had last year. When you think about it, Tierna Davidson. It even seems across the women's game, the yeah, landscape yeah, sure. as well. We're seeing that with Vivian Miedema. But I mean, even like Sam Ewis is not back. She was injured last year. So we've got to get some of these players back healthy. I still think on paper, you know, we're the best. I say we, you know, US is the best on paper, but paper doesn't lift trophies doesn't play the games so we did a bit of future looking i want to look back in the past because i dare say you're a legend of the sport here in the u.s looking back on your storied career is there anything that really sticks out to you as a moment that you'll always think about 1999 was world cup final because i remember so much about it um so much about the game the fans the stadium uh, injuries just so many things i remember about that day and, and the only other game that if somebody said your two most memorable games, that was one, and the game in Trinidad, 1989 World Cup qualifier. But I, I remember so little about that game. What I remember are the fans there that filled that stadium four hours maybe before kick, everyone in red except for two rows of American fans. There were no uh, American outlaws then, you know? Those were... U.S. soccer people that were sitting in the stands. And I remember people painting their cars red, their houses red. Trinidad had a national holiday the day after the game. They expected a win. I remember all that stuff, but the game itself, more of a blur. I remember Caligiuri's goal that came from out of nowhere, but compare that to like Women's World Cup with the drama and everything I remember, it's probably a distant second. Seems like that the energy of the day was what he remembered. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for the time. I want to thank you and Fox Sports as well for all the free press for It's Called Soccer. 
during the World Cup. <laughs> hey, we do what we can. <laughs> Helping help the little guys. Yeah, we do what we can. Thank you, JP. Appreciate it. My pleasure.